0: There's joy in every journey.
1: You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Wednesday, March the 27th. I'm your host, D.A. And the NFL owners did what we didn't think they would do. They changed instant replay. Last year, the NFC Championship game, the no-call of the century, led to the Los Angeles Rams winning and going to the Super Bowl. The Saints clearly should have been that team. But that missed call changes NFL history, not only on the field, but also off it. Because after a 32 to nothing vote, unanimous in favor of changing the rule by the coaches, the owners were forced to make a change themselves and ratified new instant replay procedures, which would allow pass interference to be a reviewable penalty. How surprising is it that the NFL decided to change this replay rule? Let's listen in to New Orleans, WWL Sports Radio, with the voice of the Saints. Zach
3: Streef. Yeah, I think it's a huge win for Saints fans. I think it certainly speaks directly to how horrible of a situation was created uh, in the NFC Championship game with the no call on Nikel Roby Coleman. And uh, I think the NFL owners did the right thing here, and, and I'm happy for that. I'm surprised um, they've been very slow to make adjustments, certainly slow to adapt technology or to change uh, things that are that traditionally are not a part of the NFL. So uh, I think in this case did did the right thing. And also I found it really interesting to hear the reports coming out of the owners meetings about uh, how impactful Sean Payton's testimony was. Uh, in that discussion, uh, obviously a tremendous amount of passion on the issue, seeing as uh, the experience that he had in the NFC Championship game and the effects that he knows uh, can occur when a missed call like that can happen. So uh, again, ultimately, I think the right thing, uh, but surprising that the right thing actually happened because I think for what's what seemed like a long time now, the NFL's decisions um, have often been met with criticism and certainly with questions about why or how they came to the decision they did. But this one, I think they nailed it and got it right. I think it's good for football. I think it's good for football fans. Um, and, and that's certainly, uh, Uh, what you're looking for coming out of these meetings. Also, Mrs. Benson, uh, I think it's a big moment for her. She was very vocal um, uh, coming out against the officiating in the NFC championship game. Um, Not an easy position for her to be in. Um, Obviously, one of the newer uh, participants in these meetings since the passing of the late Tom Benson, uh, but obviously had an impact here. Um, She was the first one, first owner, certainly, to say something about it. Um, She said she wanted to find a way to make sure that it never happened to a fan base ever again. And hopefully, this is the first step in making that happen, as, again, it is only a one-year temporary fix uh, but I think it's the right thing to do. I'm excited for Sean, excited for Mrs. Benson, and certainly excited for the Hudat Nation to get a little bit of vindication in the whole matter uh, to see that, that positive change has come out of it. And at least it was not all for nothing. Uh, so exciting to see what else comes out of the owners' meetings this week, but certainly uh, a big one there and, and a surprising one, and one that, uh, uh, once again, uh, I think the NFL owners got right.
2: Zach was on the mic when the Saints were robbed of that chance to go to the Super Bowl, and he's right. This was really surprising, but the right thing to do. Now, part of this, I'm a little leery on because I don't know if in the second quarter of a week four game, we need to be reviewing pass interference, but the fact that we have something in place that prevents what happened to the Saints from happening again That's the right move, and that had to be the priority. Another interesting bit of news that came out of the owners' meetings came from Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, who says he will be taking breaks from his team meetings to allow his players to be on their phones, texting, checking social media, etc. This obviously is a pretty polarizing opinion. A head coach of the NFL is encouraging his team to take a break from football to check their phones. Let's listen to a guy that used to play in the NFL. Hugh Douglas is part of the morning show on two nine. the game in Atlanta. Is Cliff Kingsbury ahead of the curve or totally stupid? I love
4: when Hugh Douglas says he had to self-edit to answer that. When I read this story, John, and I got to thinking about my time playing, and listen, I understand people that I'm, I'm considered a dinosaur now. It's been a while since I played in the NFL. But I feel that certain things don't need to change when it comes to professional football. And, and that's the key word in this whole conversation, John, professional football. And Cliff Kingsbury is basically implementing – cell phone breaks during team meetings. So so like
3: we just, uh, hey, stop it. Everybody go get water. Yeah, hey, hey, cell phone
4: break. (laughs) Hey, go get it. And and his thing was, I know that, you know, guys get a little antsy and and they get, the legs get to shake shake and they need their Twitter fix or whatever it is. Dude. Mm. I had to self-edit, John. (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think you would have been that quick on the dump button. I, I could have, I, I could just imagine, because I used to have to sit by my coach uh. when we were in team meetings, because he wanted like I had to sit there, and it was like a quiz. Hey, Hugh, uh, what are you going to do? What are you thinking about doing on this play? What do? You, what does this formation show you? Da-da-da-da. I just to have to sit there and do that. For you to sit there and say during a team install that you're going to give these cats like you're in a meeting for about an hour, hour and a half. It's like you go to your, you go to your your group meeting as a group. You watch it as a as a team. As a team, you go into a meeting, and you might go over what you're going to do for the day. you in the big classroom. Okay. Okay, now you break off into offensive and defensive meetings. So you're, you're in your defensive meeting probably watching the game from the last game that you played. You're watching that, watching some of the things you're going over, whatever. That's how you start the meeting. And then you go into your install, and you start to watch the other team. And once you do that, you do that for about an hour. Then you break down into your individual line meeting. Dude. To sit there and say that, that you're going to implement cell phone breaks where you can get Twitter blasts, send out Twitter blasts in team meetings, to me that's ridiculous. Number one, it's ridiculous because, listen, that's I understand that's something that you did in college. This is not college. These are professional athletes. These are grown-ass men out there with livelihood, with 401Ks, and trying to feed their family, and you're worried about somebody's Twitter fix? You better go. mm mmm mm, mm Boy, you better. Listen, you're professional. You are a professional athlete that's the difference between being in college and in the pros. That, that word at the beginning, college athlete, professional athlete. You need to start acting like a professional. And when you do stuff like this, you open yourself up for a whole lot of discourse.
3: Uh, you know what's going to happen. Antonio Brown's going to die. No, Gruden. listen,
4: that, that's, you got me right there, John. That, I was thinking the same thing. Remember a couple couple years ago, Antonio Brown in the locker room, when, when, uh, when Coach Tomlin was talking about the Patriots and that got out, same thing. Why are you? Why do you need to be on social media? Why do you need to be on social media? Why do you need to be on social media when you're getting ready for a game? That's something you do on your own time. Right now, the NFL owns you You're getting paid millions of dollars. Get your butt off of Twitter. You need to be off of Twitter the whole week of your group. install. I understand you want to send out tweets and keep fans interacting. And I, I get all that, but not during the time you're supposed to be working. Yeah, I'm sorry, but if I'm a fan,
3: not to get indignant, but if the Falcons had breaks and I suddenly saw tweets from Falcons, hey, we're in the middle of install, we're on a cell phone break, I tweet back, get the hell back to work. Hey,
4: we got a good game (laughs) plan this week coming up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ooh, it's going to be fire. Hey, hey, Jameis. We couldn't man, go on with that. Come on, man. Stop. Uh, man, stop. It, yeah.
3: I, this is – if I'm a head coach in the NFL and my players come to me and say, "Uh, Cliff King, he's doing cell phone breaks. Can we – okay. I'm going to say, okay, you guys could have cell phone breaks, but it's Facebook
4: only. It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. Only – I remember like if, if – Hi, mom. If, I, I remember back when like say <laughs> if – like even your wife, she knew when – hey, listen, babe, I'm at work. Don't call me right now. You can't like during a certain time of the right. day, don't, don't call yeah, me. Right. Like if any – if you called me from what, nine in the morning to at least four, you're being disrespectful. Unless it's something that's very, very important. But from that time during the season, don't call me. i see you when I get home. i see you when I get home. If it's nothing important, everybody fine, everybody alive, we're good. Don't call me because we're, we're getting ready for a game. I
2: can just imagine the old-school NFL guys looking at this and going, are you
4: kidding me? The legs get to shaking. They need their Twitter fix or whatever it is. Dude. Mm. I had to self-edit, John. (laughs) I (laughs) don't even think you would have been that quick on the dump button. I mean, let's face it. A team meeting is only, what,
2: 45 minutes, an hour at most? you got to put your phone down for that long to be totally immersed in a game plan that could dictate your job? that could dictate your future, that could dictate whether you have your head taken off. I don't know. Assuming that these guys can't go more than 20 minutes without checking their phone and then encouraging that, I mean, yikes. Baseball opening day is here tomorrow, and there's the haves and the have-nots. We know the big teams like the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers. They're always in it. They've got good teams. But how about teams at the bottom of those divisions? A team like, say, the Baltimore Orioles, who have completely ripped it up and are now going through a massive rebuild. In Baltimore, there's an SI article that's not very popular that suggested that O's fans boycott their baseball team this year because their team isn't trying to win but the guys on the Big Bad Morning Show on 105.7 in Baltimore actually think it's an exciting time for the Orioles and their fans. Let's listen in.
1: This is a very exciting time in my opinion to be a fan of the Baltimore Orioles. I would so much rather they do this than do what they've been doing kind of trying to band-aid it, you know, Absolutely. get an aging player, get this guy, you know, pick up another guy, you know, and and not get the best guys of here. You. You, know, you don't get the big names. Um now that you know, we know what we got. This is what we, it's going to be—a rebuild. This is it. You know, you're, on, you're along for the ride. Support your team and and have some fun with this. Watch these young guys develop. And they did pick up two big. I mean, you know, Cobb and Cashner were big names last year. Yeah. Well, so I think they have done it. And I, you know, by doing this and telling people the truth, I think it goes a long way. I
5: think this is uh, a very irresponsible piece. To be honest, I mean talking about Peter Angelos as one of the worst owners in professional sports. Well, memo to the writer. I'd love to get this person on, Joe, at SI.com and let this person know that Peter Angelos isn't even running the club right now. So to make that assumption and make this assertion is ridiculous. People aren't going to boycott the team. Attendance was down last year. I got it. They averaged just over 20,000 per game. But now you have the chance to see these guys grow up at the Major League level. You got a lot of guys that want to be out there and play for this team as opposed to last season where they were looking into their crystal ball where they're going to end up after
1: 2018. And I, I'm not, in, like I said, I'm not in favor of boycotting anyone, but another team that's listed on here, the Miami Marlins. I mean, if you were going to boycott them, it should have been years ago. Yeah. You know, not not now that Derek Jeter's basically stripped this thing apart and told you this is the direction in which we're going. You know, the Seattle Mariners, I you know, I just... I don't understand that. Because they haven't concept. been to the
5: playoffs in almost two decades. That's the reason you boycott them. It's absurd. Yeah. It really is. Because like you said, if you're a true definition of the word
1: fan, you support your team through the thick and thin. Absolutely. And, and you know what? You talk about ownership. I don't know about you guys. But I'm hearing more, not directly from the lips of ownership now, but the direction from the top down that I've heard in a long time for the mm-hmm. Baltimore Orioles. You're talking about the fun and the value of this team, and, and 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 now they're trying to give back to the community. You're hearing a lot of things, a lot of positive things uh, with ownership, and it seems like they're all on the same page, but the bottom line is last year we screamed this on this show. We screamed this. We just want to know the plan. How many times have we seen that last year? What's we just want to know the yes, plan. Absolutely. Just, just tell us the plan. Well, don't we know the plan now?
5: Yeah. I know some people were upset because they thought the plan was come out and see the baby birds all season long. Well, it's not going to be that way at the beginning. So you have to be patient. And you should be. You don't want to rush these guys up to the major league level only to see them sent down. I'm talking about guys like this Okay, There's okay, so still Cisco. a lot of babies though. I mean, Absolutely. You look around the on.
1: infield, there's some I mean, you look at look at third base shortstop babies. Look at the outfield, there's some babies out there. <laughs>
2: Tell fan bases who they should boycott because they're not going to like it. And there's your fallout. It's great if media and fans are all in on a rebuild and they love to see the young guys come up, but just know that it sounds exciting on paper, but the actual pain involved, that's no fun on a day-to-day basis. On to the Sweet 16, which also starts up on Thursday night, tomorrow evening. And P.J. Carlissimo is a guy that has coached in the Final Four before, a guy that's coached in the National Championship game before. And now as a basketball analyst, the question is, after Duke survives Central Florida, is Duke vulnerable? Did that show the blueprint on how to beat the Dukies? Here is P.J. on Bull and Fox on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. You know, some people have made the case, hey, maybe maybe this is a wake-up call for them, that hey, now they now they turn on the gas after that, that very close win over UCF.
6: I don't think as much a wake-up call as it is. I've always felt that it's not a rule and it doesn't happen every year. But it seems to me, I know for us it always was, and I think for a lot of other teams, six games is hard to win. I mean, somebody's going to do it, obviously. But you almost have to dodge a bullet somewhere along the way. And I think this was good. I think Duke took care of that. Uh, they, they, died. they didn't dodge a bullet. They... they dodged about four bullets in that UCF game. Um, so I, I think that's good. I, I really think most teams that win the national championship, there's a game where they just don't play well or they get in foul trouble or the other team is making all kinds of shots, banking in threes, you know, stuff like that. And You go, wow, this just isn't our night. And I think that um, Duke had that. So I, I think they're good enough, obviously, the talent. And, uh, you know, you look at what they've done over the course of the year. There's they're – Certainly, still good enough to. Win. I don't think they're vulnerable. Um, I, I don't think anybody would want to play them.
7: Coach, we had uh, Clark Kellogg on with us yesterday, and he said that he thinks Zion is the most dominant and unique player in college basketball since Shaquille O'Neal. Would you do you agree with
6: that? Clark's a player, uh, so and he's not given to crazy statements. So sure, uh, I, I, I would. I would agree with him. Everybody that I've talked to, like uh, Jim Baham, the other coaches in the ACC or the coaches that have played against them just shake their head and go, you, you have no idea how good. And, and you know, that's the thing. I'm, it's kind of crazy. You know, we, we watch on TV and it's close. Sometimes until you're sitting there courtside and you see somebody like him where the, the, the physicality is, you know, you guys saw it with LeBron. And Tom. People don't realize what LeBron is, I swear. Unless you sit courtside and watch LeBron James, you don't know what it's like to try and deal with him. And I think the same thing holds true for Zion. I I just think he's such a freak, and I say that in a good sense physically, then on top of that he knows how to play basketball, that i I would not surprised at all that Clark would make that statement.
3: What sort of pro do you think Zion will be?
6: He's going to be excellent. He's he's too skilled. He does Mm -hmm. too many things well, and he does it at a size. One of the big separators right away in the NBA is body size. Now there are people that can overcome it, but like even KD was skinny when he came in. I, you know, I was lucky enough to coach him uh, as a rookie, but he's so much stronger now than he was. Um, Zion comes in; he like he play. He's like a man right now physically, and it's not just the strength; it's the quickness. It's that LeBron combination of size and strength and quickness, all in one package. And then on top of that, he knows how to play basketball. So I, I don't think he's going to be a good pro. I think he's going to be an excellent pro, and I think right from Jump Street. Now, again, what kind of team he's with, you don't know because of the draft and how low a team it is. But, I mean, I'll be shocked if he doesn't do anything other than excel right from the beginning.
2: Well, as long as Zion Williamson plays at his peak level, I don't think you could ever really say that Duke is vulnerable because when he does that, I don't know who in America can beat them. But what we saw in that game on Sunday against the Knights, was a blueprint on how to try to beat them. Push them on the outside. Force them to have to make deep threes. Also, try to get a lead, and you must finish all possessions. And that was something that UCF did for 38 minutes, but couldn't do for all 40. I don't think that Duke is vulnerable, but I definitely believe that UCF gave the blueprint on how to beat the Blue Devils. How about a guy that's won a national championship? Glenn Rice with Michigan back in the late 80s. Speaking of that final four with Seton Hall and P.J. Carlissimo. Now, Glenn Rice also won an NBA Finals championship. So Dan Silio of 97.3 The Fan in San Diego asked Glenn Rice, which ring means more to him? And that apparently is the million-dollar
1: question. <laughs> Glenn, what ring means more to you, the Laker championship ring or the Michigan national championship <laughs> ring?
6: Ooh,
8: the $300 million question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I can say which one means more to me. I think they they both have different meanings. I think as a young man in college and, and playing with all my young brothers who we were all just barely smelling adulthood, uh, it, it, it had a different meaning. I mean, it it was won differently. Uh, we 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 were brothers, and we, and we we really liked one another, uh, and and we were very thankful for winning that NCAA championship. Was one and, journey
1: different than the other? What, what, the journey. What journey? What journey do you think of more when you're laying in your bed or you're you're just having random thoughts? Do you think of the journey on winning the Laker championship or for the Michigan championship?
8: Yeah, I, I think of winning the Michigan championship first. I mean, cuz that was that was a, a band of brothers that I had been with, you know, for 3 to 3 4 years and um it it I would have to say it 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 meant a little more. And that's no disrespect to the no. championship that I won with the Lakers, but it it did mean more because it was it was fun. Yeah. It really it was fun. And I think when you win on an NBA level, that's fun as well, but it's, it's different. I, I, don't, I don't know how to really, it's just different. It was like you got grown men and uh, sometimes we're on the same page and sometimes we're not. Everyone is totally thinking differently versus in college, pretty much everyone is thinking the same.
1: What ring do you wear more, Michigan or the Laker ring?
8: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't really wear even one of them. I just, I just parade around both
2: of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be different when you're a superstar and you're the lead alpha male on an NBA championship team. Ooh, the three hundred million dollar question. Glenn Rice wasn't that when he won his title, and so maybe that makes it feel a little different. Had Glenn Rice been Magic Johnson, perhaps it's different. I think probably Magic loves that Final Four, loves that national championship with Michigan State, but being the guy to bring a title back to the Lakers, my guess is, is more valuable to him than that college championship. But I get it. That bond that you have in college with those guys, especially as you're growing up, maybe even in that time period, has got to be really special for anybody that cuts down the nets. And finally, you know, here and Around the Dial, we're totally pro-AAF, the Alliance of American Football. And now going into week number eight, there's been a lot to like about the league. Tom Dundon, an infusion of cash, $250 million coming in earlier in the season as the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes and then the face of the AAF. But suddenly we get news on Wednesday morning that Tom is talking about making a decision about whether the league will survive in the next couple of days. Tom, we haven't even gotten through season one yet. The guys in Memphis discussed Jason and John on 92.9 had the commercial appeal writer Mark Giannato on to discuss the possible end of the alliance.
3: Well, it was a good good few games to have the Memphis Express in Memphis, wasn't it, Mark? It, it It was a lot of fun.
7: Lot of fun. Oh man, yeah, we were, we were sitting there, I was sitting there with Jason Muns, who's like been covering this for us. And I was like, well, we better better enjoy Johnny while it lasts because it doesn't sound like it, it sounds like we're gonna get these two last two home games. That might be it.
3: Um.
0: <laughs> a, a, a farewell, a farewell, right? Everybody, it's
3: like it's like when uh, Memphis was trying to get, you know, they were trying to hit the uh, turnstile number, right? Help us, you know, hit the turnstile number. Come on out now. You got to come out, fill the stands. So you can wave goodbye to Mike Singletary and the Express. You know, send them out the right way.
7: I am I'm most concerned with Chandler like he's got this new best friend and it's yeah, like let's be honest point, Johnny's arrival has coincided with Chandler's right. best play in You're years. Right. Um We're helping each can of. we keep Johnny here like can the Grizzlies give him a job like you know somewhere something behind the scenes where you know I don't know I, I'm worried there um but it's you know it it I don't know it's it has seemed especially here in Memphis it has seemed um precarious from the start, like even, even the other night, um, Sunday night, I mean, like the crowd was still not great. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people there wearing Manziel jerseys. And there was an excitement about Johnny playing again, but like they announced 13,000, but there was no more than three or 4,000 in the stands. Um, so I think from the get go, from that opening game, I think until Johnny got here, the conversation around town was, you know, is this thing going to last? So it shouldn't really, I don't think it should be that surprising that, you know, that Tom Dundon comes out and says, we're exploring folding the league if we don't get an agreement with the NFLPA. And I think he's right. Like, I mean, like you watch the football and like, it's fine, but it's not great football. Right. Like I know, like, right. you, you know, it's not, You know, the quarterback play is not that good. Like, it seems like basically Spurrier's team is entertaining. And then everything else is Mm kind of like, blah. You know? And so, um, it doesn't surprise me. Um, And, you know, you... I guess I hope the league will work, but, like, I was thinking about Like, think about next year when the XFL starts up. They're going to, like, think about We already talked about how kind of diluted, like, the QB play and the O-line play is in this league. Mm -hmm. Think about it when the XFL comes. It's going to be even more diluted because they're going to be competing for the same type of players. Um, And so, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. But the statement today was not exactly a – a ringing endorsement for a second year of AAF play.
3: Yeah, there's no question about it. Well, you know, well, well, I guess we'll re-mitigate this. We'll go over our favorite memories after they shut it down. And they're, 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 I mean, they're starting, to, they're starting to be like the boy who cried wolf. I can't get emotional every time Tom Dutton threatens to pull his money.
2: Tom, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm telling you, this league is good. It's great. It's beautiful. It makes us happy. It's tremendous. Please, Tom, whatever you do, don't do it. I'll die. I'll die without the Alliance. That's the best in your sports talk for Around the Dial, March the 27th, 2019. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.